Hi, good morning. Uh, welcome again. If you're a visitor, we're so glad that you're here. Um, there's a visitors list on the coffee table. So if you would like to sign that so we can get you more connected, that would be awesome. Hopefully the slide will show up, but the other announcement is the Ladies Ornament Exchange. It's on December 8th from 11 to 1 at Leslie Rose House. If you don't know where that is, just ask one of us and we can give you directions. Um, please bring a wrapped ornament to either homemade or bought. That's $10 or less. And bring a favorite holiday appetizer or dessert. Um, it's only for women who have graduated college, but also <laughs> feel free to bring any coworkers, neighbors, or friends that are graduated as well. So you have a degree? Uh, you, no. <laughs> yeah, just not in school. So, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. Hi. Yeah, so I definitely know... Oh, <laughs> I definitely know a lot of people. Um, I don't know a lot of faces, but that's okay. It's, uh, it's exciting for me uh, on a lot of different levels to just get to be with you guys because, um, you know, this church uh, started as a, as a plant from our church in Wiley. And so for those of you who don't know the kind of bigger picture, uh, you guys are a part of a, a family of churches and, in Wiley, we are uh, very interested in what's going on here, just like we are at our church in Garland and our new church in Arlington and, and definitely the campus ministries. So uh, just the people here and, and kind of, uh, you know, what you guys are doing is, again, just really encouraging and near and dear uh, to, to my heart, to Christy's heart, to our church's heart on a lot of different levels. And and so last night we were on our way home from uh, Eddie and Logan's wedding and uh, our 15 year old Cole was in the car with us. And I said, hey, we're going to leave about 930 in the morning to uh, head up to church. And he said, why are we going so early? And I said, I said, well, we're going to Denton. We're going to go to the Denton church. And he's like, wait, isn't that the weird church? <laughs> so, <laughs> so your reputation kind of precedes you a little bit. Um, and, and I just had to say, well, well, yeah, but you know, Brad kind of leads that church and he's like, oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense now. So, so that's, that's my only shot at you this morning, probably, but there might be some more uh, a little later on, but, but yeah, so it really is. It's, it's, um, just a blessing to, to get to be with you guys. And, and so if you have your Bible with you and I hope you do in, in some form or fashion, uh, open up to Luke chapter 16, uh, either turn over to it or click over to it, whatever you need to do to get to it. Um, but uh, as I was preparing for the talk, uh, you know, Brad in, in kind of his weirdness that uh, is Brad and kind of what you guys are doing up here, he's like, we don't want you to have any points for your sermon. And, and so like, I'm not a good speaker. And so like, I, I immediately took that as, you know, I couldn't have any notes to go by. And I was like, Hey, I, I'm not that good. Like I need notes to work with me. He's like, Oh, you can have notes. Just, you can't have any points. And I was like, so it took me a while <laughs> to kind of figure that out. And even Friday night and last night, I'm texting with Brad to try and, you know, kind of figure out what, <laughs> what all this looks like. So I'm the least prepared for this talk as I have been any talk in my life. And so uh, be prepared because it might be all over the place and it might, uh, might only last about seven or eight minutes and, uh, and then we'll be done. <laughs> yeah, Brad's like, awesome. Just kidding. I, I, I can't even get through an introduction in seven or eight minutes. So, uh, so we might be here a while. It could be 70 or 80 minutes <laughs> for that. So, but I do just have this one piece of paper. 
Usually I have five or six. Oh, you like that? Angel likes that. Yeah, and I'm ready for some like over-exuberant angel laughs. Like I'm sure those are coming. Y'all all know what I'm talking about. Y'all know what I'm talking about, yeah? So hopefully I can work some of those in there and we can all stop down and just be in awe of Angel's laugh because it is very special. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Luke chapter 16. So uh, Bradley gave me this uh, topic, this set of scriptures to, uh, to speak from. And so we're going to spend just a little bit of time uh, here in Luke and then jump over to some other places. Um, and, And really this, this story in Luke is just kind of a launching point for us into uh, really what I want to talk about today and, and which is primarily feet. So we're going to get to that in a second, but I'll just let that kind of marinate with you for a second. <laughs> All right. Rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, starting in verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us and you, uh, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers, let him warn them so that they will also come or they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if some someone rises from the dead. So I think it's important as we get into this text and really into the talk today that we uh, try and identify uh, who Lazarus is and try and understand what the problem was with Lazarus and how he lived his life that got him in the position that he's in. So I want to reference a website. Uh, If you could pull up globalrichlist.com. Uh, this is a great way, and many of you are going to be familiar with this uh, this website, but it's a great way for you to put into perspective just where you are in terms of uh, you know how much money you make in comparison to the rest of the world. Um, I am a bivocational pastor, and the other part of my time I spend uh, in a company that uh, builds websites. We do website and graphics design. I have a team in India that works for me of about a half a dozen developers and they've worked for me coming up on four years. I'd never met them face to face. Uh, We've done Google Hangouts and and other kind of ways to connect with them, but I'd never actually met them face to face until earlier this month. I went to India and I got to see a completely different world than what we're used to here. Everything is different. And I could literally talk, fill my whole time just telling you stories from being there. 
But the comparison to what they have and what we have really brought this to life in my mind and helped me understand truly. I had the equivalent one day of about 20 U.S. dollars. And the guy that I was with uh, looked at that bill. We were talking a little bit about money. And he said, you could probably live for two weeks here in indoor on that amount of money. And it just blew my mind. We went to his home village one day, uh, which was seven or eight hours out into the countryside of India. And we drove through, I can't even describe it. It would be the equivalent of driving through a, a, a downtown city area where buildings are very close together. Um, and it's just kind of these mud kind of built buildings and driving through these really narrow streets of this one little village to get to the village we were going to of about 150 people. No foreigner had ever even walked into that village. And so you can imagine the spectacle of my big goofy self walking in there in uh, in. There, there, there was. It's the first one. Why'd you have to laugh at that? Why'd you have to agree with that? Everybody else was thinking, no, you know, you're not big and goofy. And Angel was like, you're big and goofy. But anyway, so, um, so I get into this village and, and they have cows to provide their dairy. They have a hand pump well to provide their water. Uh, they have fields to grow things in to provide their food. They have electricity maybe between 12 and 6 p.m. every day. But that's not even guaranteed. And somebody was asking me at one point just if they realized how poor they were. And it's really quite the opposite. They, they have no concept of them being poor. They have everything they need. You know, God has provided for them. They have everything we need. And in so many ways, it made me realize just how poor we are in comparison to them. The average graduating salary from the University of North Texas is $49,800. So let's just start off uh, by entering. Yeah, choose the U.S. there from that drop down. Uh, third one down there. Yep. And then just enter $50,000. And click show my results. And so what this will do is help you see graphically kind of where you rank in the top 0.31% of the world if you make $50,000 a year. And, and uh, then scroll down just a little bit, Joseph. Yeah, and keep going down. Uh, you earn $50,000 in one year. It would take the average laborer in Zimbabwe 49 years to earn the same amount. And so again, it's, it's just mind-blowing. Now go back up to the top and let's just enter 28000 $28,000. And of course, a lot of us in here are thinking, who could possibly live on that amount? You're still in the top 1.5% of the world. And so I wanted to do this just to kind of help us identify quickly with the idea of the rich man. Any one of us in here very easily could right off the bat identify with that word. And we wrap a different meaning around it in the U.S. culture, what it means to be rich. You know, we get people that feel sorry for us if we make $28,000 a year or $24,000 a year. You must have done something wrong. You must not be very smart if that's all you make. And in comparison to the world, though, we are the rich man that's being talked about in this scripture. And so now we can identify, we all kind of see who he is and, and, uh, and that we are him. And what was his sin? 
You know, so then the the question for me in my mind went immediately to, so what was his sin? What got him in this predicament, in this place that he was, this place of torment? Was his sin being rich? Was his sin that he had an abundance of money? So you got to think for a second, he had not ordered Lazarus to be removed from the gate. Lazarus was still there. He had made no objections to the bread that was kind of flung off of his table in Lazarus's direction. He didn't kick him while he was passing him by, and he had not deliberately been cruel to him. We don't see any of that in the scripture. He simply did not notice him and had accepted him as part of the landscape as part of his everyday vision. He saw his condition. Nothing stirred within him to help change that. Nothing stirred in his soul to see his condition and say, I want to bring him to a better place. How do you respond to the condition of the world around you? And I'll just say here, you know, for one second that, You know, a lot of times we feel so uh, good about ourselves and encouraged that we went to the local soup kitchen and donated something or dropped something off at the clothes closet or, or whatever. And those are all good things. Those are all good things. But do you look at the condition of our world? Do you mourn over the condition of our world? And really speaking in a spiritual sense, it's one thing to try and cover the tangible needs of people. It's a whole nother thing to try and cover the spiritual needs of people. And so it doesn't take long in your world to walk and to see people who are spiritually bankrupt and have no hope, they have no understanding, or some misunderstanding of who God is. I reached out to a guy just coming out of prison, this is probably five or six years ago, and I started talking to him a little bit about the gospel message, and he said, oh, I read about your God in the Old Testament. And he used a very strong um, uh, word to say that basically he was a monster, And and there's these misconceptions and these misunderstandings. And how will people know if we don't tell them? How will people know if we don't model for them something different? Jesus said in the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you know the mourning there that, that it's talking about is not the mourning that you feel when you lose somebody dear to you? Because that's always what I had, had kind of put with that, that wording. You know, we're upset, we're upset because we lost somebody close to us, whatever, and that someday we'll be comforted in the arms of Jesus. He's actually speaking to the condition of the world that we live in. Blessed are those who mourn over the condition of the world that we live in. For someday they will be comforted. Why? Because there will be something new. God is making all things new. We won't be upset anymore over the condition of the world and the spiritually bankrupt that we see all around us. The Lazarus won't be, or people like Lazarus, spiritually speaking, won't be begging at our table anymore. And believe me, those people are begging at your table your table. They they see what you have. They want to know. 
And how terrible or opposite of a place are we in when the lost and hurting around us just start to blend into the landscape and we lose our spiritual vision to see those who are lost and hurting. And so really we have to go back and kind of understand why are we here? (laughs) What is God doing with us? What is God's vision for human beings? And what does it mean to live a life in the kingdom And this is where I'm going to divert and go a little bit different direction for a while to talk about what God expects from us as we look at the landscape around us. So Jesus answers this question for us uh, very specifically. What is God's vision for what human beings are here for and what life in the kingdom is supposed to look like? Matthew 27 verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his, with his reply, they met together to question him again. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And so just notice here just real quick that they asked for one commandment, but Jesus's reply contained two things. And so this is telling us something again, probably so many times Jesus heard the questions that were coming at him and, and like, ah, you're kind of on the verge of asking the right thing, but let me kind of fill in some more blanks for you. And so Jesus is saying something here, very important. And I would just ask you for a second to just flush out kind of the other religiosity, the kind of the stuff that comes along with, uh, with, you know, the Christian mindset and tune in here to listen to what Jesus is saying. What is the most important? thing. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. And so we're asking, what is the greatest command? What is the thing that's most important? And what is it that brings God's will for humans into existence? And the first is to be known and to know your creator. It's to know and to be known by your creator. I said that wrong to be in a loving relationship, to truly understand his grace and generosity, but then also to know the responsibility that comes with that. So as God pours into our cup and that cup fills up, it overflows then or should overflow into the people around us. Jesus went on. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So all the law and the prophets hang right here. This is pages one and two of your Bible. We are images of God. Humans are image bearers of God. There's a C.S. Lewis quote that says, the closest you will ever be to the likeness of God is the person sitting right next to you. And so there's something utterly unique and sacred about human beings that we would reflect the God of the universe, that we are image bearers. And to love God is to love those who reflect his image, to notice people, to see into people's lives, to pay attention to what's happening in the people's lives around us because we each have a unique opportunity in our friend set to have an impact. See, what the rich man was missing was this love ethic 
this love ethic that is at the core of the kingdom. It's the core of the remaking of humanity is about restoring these relationships on all levels with people who are closest to me, with those who are just acquaintances, the people we come in contact with in our daily lives. And it's interesting, and I heard um, N.T. Wright interview one time where he was talking about image bearers, that we just naturally and kind of tend to look at being an image bearer as a one-way reflection, right? That we are reflecting to the people around us the goodness of God. That's the thing that I naturally just went to. But in this N.T. Wright interview, he said that that reflection works both ways. It's like a mirror. If I put the mirror over there, I could angle it right and, and see Grant. And then, but Grant could see me. And so this reflection works two ways that we show the goodness of God to the people around us, but we show to God the goodness of his creation, that the responsibility goes beyond just understanding and knowing and loving the God, our creator, God, our creator, but that we reflect back to him the goodness of his creation. So this plays 100% into the idea of Luke 16. We have to pay attention. We have to notice and realize. And that's why our mission is what it is. Our mission to make and mature disciples to the glory of God to put first and foremost and understand that, that the commitment we make Jesus is Lord is to say, we are partnering with you in your mission to go out and, and restore humanity. That's why our vision is clear, a place where hearts are turned to God and lives are changed. And if you're not sold on this, you won't be interested in the least in noticing and trying to bring other people into the kingdom. And you'll get that low hanging fruit that I was talking about where you go to the local food pantry or donate something. You'll catch some of that, but you'll miss the bigger and more important message and, and challenge to be a messenger, to take into this world. And if you're sold on that, if you're sold on that mission and vision, you'll start to see your life differently. You'll start to see your life as a messenger. I want to show you guys a video from the Bible Project uh, that'll just take five or six minutes, just if you want to cue that up. But this video just talks about that scripture from Isaiah that says, how beautiful are the feet on the mountains of those who bring good news. And so as we notice our landscape better, as we see and understand people better and create a desire in us to bring that message, we become messengers. I want to show you this video and then I'll come up and wrap us up. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. 
But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring Good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now, in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus's teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah. So, for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high ranking Roman officer and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love.
So how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, And again, I I just want to draw that connection one more time that it starts with, with realizing and recognizing, paying attention to your landscape. So we're going to talk about feet for the rest of my time. <laughs> you can go to that first, uh, first picture there, Joseph. So, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm going to just tell you a story of some feet in my life. Um, so these feet were up here just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, these are Ronnie's feet. <laughs> and a quick little side note, uh, those slippers are 31 years old. I'll bet you would have never guessed by looking at them, or you would have known immediately. So anyway, um, so yeah, so Bradley mentioned that, uh, you know, I was pretty young when I started my ministry and, and reached out to him. And, and I was uh, probably the age of some of the students in here. I was just 21 or 22 when Uh, My wife and I had been invited to uh, a church in Dallas um, by Ray's parents, Mark and Sini. Christy and Sini worked together um, in the cheer industry for many years, and and Sini loved Christy enough to to invite her and and ask us to to be a part of what they were doing. And and that particular church wasn't, at the time, a a great fit for us. Uh, We both grew up in, in pretty limited church experience. Uh, Christy in a much more formal Catholic setting and and I in a much more uh, kind of laid back uh, Methodist and Presbyterian uh, environment. And so when Sini invited us to church, it was that was kind of different in the first place because not many people were uh, really inviting us to church. Uh, we were a young couple and already had a child uh, with us. And, uh, and so we end up going to this church, wasn't a great fit for us, uh, we felt, because Christy and I are both expressives, and the church that they had first invited us to was a little bit more uh, non-expressive. And, and uh, so we didn't go, and about six or eight weeks later, they called back and invited us to, to a, a church that was meeting in a warehouse and uh, was much more of like a, a contemporary service that... Um, uh, that, that felt a little bit more at home uh, for Christy and me. And so these feet walked up to me um, at the very, uh, the very first time that, that we met. And again, I was just a 22-year-old uh, who had just graduated uh, college and had a uh, first job and a wife and a, a small child and trying to figure things out. And, and he said, hey, would you want to go get a Coke sometime? And I said, yeah, that'd be, that'd be great. I'll do that. Thinking it was a little weird because, again, there's just no, I have no reference point for an older man asking me to go spend time with him. You know, really no reference point for that. And so I did. And we started studying the Bible a couple of times a week. And, and uh, through that studying and that mentorship and, and that time together, I gave my life to God. And, uh, and, and these, these feet have been on a mission uh, from the very beginning of, of his walk. Uh, and many of us are here sitting in here today because of the, the commitment of this man to, to notice the landscape around him, to look into people's lives, to notice a 22-year-old coming to church and investing in saying that uh, I'm willing to take my time, his time, which was very valuable at the time he 
He could have uh, made a lot of money <laughs> uh, taking those hours and using them in his business. There's all kinds of things we could highlight here. But the point is, uh, he chose to give his life to God. And he chose to, to make the commitment, no matter where his feet walked, no matter where he went, that he was going to carry the message, that he was going to carry the message of the gospel, Galion. He was going to carry that message to the people that were around him. So next picture. These are my feet last night. <laughs> These were the socks I wore to the wedding last night. So, uh, so yeah, so that, uh, that message changed my life. Like completely changed my life. So um, I, I remember I, I grew up in West Plano. I, I had money on my mind from, from day one. Um, just thinking about goals and setting goals. I had goals for myself of how much I wanted to make at certain points in my life or be making at certain points in my life. And I'm just so shameful to even think back on that. But it was a very, very different mindset, you know, that, that he introduced to me and that I took on. So there was a responsibility for me. I realized that, that now that message that was given to me was now to be given to other people that, that how could I keep this message and this understanding of a, of a savior uh, who did something for me that I couldn't do for myself? How could I keep that to myself? How could I, I, I not take that message and go out and try and impact other people? And so I started, you know, very young and made tons of mistakes. I remember sitting in in Bradley's living room with Les in a small group uh, and just not knowing. And fortunately, Les was there to, to help chime in and, and uh, fill in cracks in the, the Bible story that I had produced or didn't know because of my knowledge. And, and, uh, and just seeing my life unfold and change in a much different way than anything that I had ever imagined, that I'd ever thought for myself. And which kind of brings me to this next slide. These are the feet of my kids. They're not really, this is a stock image, but, <laughs> but we had, we had, we had a picture kind of like this, but Christy likes to throw things away, like just randomly. Like if it's not, she'll just throw stuff away all the time. And so she probably threw the picture away. She swear, what? You threw it away probably. So anyway, <laughs> we'll need some marriage counseling after, after but, um, but no, so this represents a, a, a very different shift for me and my life as we had children, we have four kids, um, 21, 20, 17 and 15, uh, the oldest two are girls who a lot of you might know, Kylie and Jordan and the youngest two are boys, uh, Jaron and Cole. And, and they, we created something different for them. We created a, a very different environment from what Christy and me both had, from what we had growing up. And, and, we, and that hurt a lot of times. That was really hard a lot of times because you have to you know, make decisions and, and do things that go completely against what the world does. I remember Jordy played soccer and she was really good at soccer and on a, a little club team. And, and they were, they would have games on Sunday. And we just said, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to miss those games, which the, the coaches didn't, didn't like at all. 
I remember one time sitting in a, a circle after one of Jordy's games and her coach was telling them that if a girl knocks you down, you knock her down. And I, I looked at her across, across the, the circle, you know, and it was from you know, me to the back booth. And I looked at her, I said, you will never do that. And the parents, you know, all kind of looked at me like I was crazy. But how could I, how could I justify that? How could I say that that's okay? You know, with the message that I have, with what I know that Jesus expects from me, how could I do that? And so I had this responsibility to these little feet. And with where you guys are now in life, a lot of you getting into this stage, if that's what you wish and what God has for you, that you be serious about that. That you be serious about the message that you take to your little feet. Because they're listening, they're constantly watching, they pick up on stuff that you would never even realize that they're paying attention to. You have a responsibility here, okay? So this is a foot of a a friend of mine, again, a stock image, (laughs) because I was actually texting with him last night and I couldn't bring myself to ask him to send me a picture of his feet. So, uh, so as I mentioned, I have a business that does web and graphics design, and, and God has just had his hand on us from the beginning. He's, we've always had enough. Like, we're not one of those companies that's, you know, burning trails to the bank, but we always have had enough. God has always taken care of us. And, and so uh, right after I left um, uh, working at a bank in Plano, uh, a friend that I had worked with at the bank called and said, Hey, you're doing websites, right? This is probably 12, 13 years ago. And I said, yeah. And, and she said, okay, well, I'm going to send this guy to you. Well, this guy was a veterinarian in Frisco. And so I started meeting with him and, uh, and we started working on a website. And over the course of the next couple of years, I would go meet with him and we started, you know, kind of talking a little bit. And one time uh, we were at the end of our, our time together uh, talking about his website. And I said, well, I'm headed over. I, I may have actually been head, headed to get with Grant, I think. And, and uh, I said, I'm going to get with one of the teens in my youth group. And he said, well, hold on a sec. What do you do? And I said, well, you know, I, I build websites, but I also have another uh, job. I, I, I'm a youth minister for a church in Garland. And he looked at me and goes, I might be interested in that at some point. And I said, well, I study with adults too. I can kind of, you know, tell you the same thing. He said, yeah, my kids are getting a little bit older. And, you know, I've, I've been around that religious stuff a little bit and, and my family Uh, He said, we've always had two camps in our family. We've had the businessmen who were uh, very involved in the oil industry and come from a a lot of money. And he said, and then we had the religious nuts. And I said, oh, well, who are the religious nuts? Well, his great uncle is Robert Coleman, who wrote Master Plan of Evangelism. And so I just can't help but think that (laughs) the that maybe my feet were an answer to part of his family's prayer, you know, for the, for the, the, the business nuts, you know, the, the guys who, who didn't understand the gospel or take it very seriously. And so, so I started studying with him at a, at a um, McDonald's in West Plano. And we spent like six or eight months going through focus on Jesus and he gave his life to God. We baptized him in Mark spa over in Richardson he didn't want anybody else there. It just had to be me and him. And so we went and baptized him. And, and it's been neat to watch God change his heart, you know. 
like all of us, he still has a long way to go, but he knows the gospel now. He knows the gospel now. And, and so I've got to see his feet, you know, change direction quite a bit. Let's go to the next one. This is, uh, this is some Indian feet. <laughs> Again, stock image, because I didn't want to. Fr- <laughs> I didn't want. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I just Googled Indian woman's feet. Um, so, but no, this is, this is legit because like, uh, when I was in India, the, the, <laughs> the owner of the company that, that I was with, his wife, um, was this, uh, lady named Radhika and she was, uh, super sweet and just this really neat, very impressive lady. And they did break out their wedding album at one point and showed me uh, their wedding pictures were amazing. But they do all that henna stuff all over their hands and feet. I mean, it's like a five day ordeal, their wedding. And uh, and so anyway, so these are her feet. And the reason I'm telling you about her is because I was talking to her. And as you you probably know, in India, there's a lot of beggars, a lot of beggars. And we were in a market one time, a packed market. I'm, I'm, I can't even explain the amount of people that were in this area. Uh, it was at a food market. And, uh, and I'm standing there talking to the guy I'm with, and I feel a tap on my elbow, and I look down, and it's about a seven-year-old girl, and she's just holding her hand out like this, and just, you know, very uh, disheveled and dirty. And um, I, I told her, I said, honey, I don't have any money on me. And she, just, you know, she couldn't understand me, and so she just stood there, very stoic, in holding her hand out. And so I took my pockets out. I said, I, I've got nothing to give you at this point. And she just stood there looking at me. And that's when I looked down and saw her holding the hand of um, probably a 15, 16 month old little girl um, naked from the waist down uh, with just a grungy uh, kind of t-shirt on and kind of crying and upset that you know her sister had drug her out into this market. Um, and it just, again, kind of shook my world, uh, of the need out there. And, uh, and so I was talking to Radhika about this and she said, oh, we don't, we don't give to, uh, to those beggars in the market like that because, uh, they just go around the corner and give it to their parents. And a lot of times their parents are involved in some shady stuff. She said, but what I do is I wait for sales to come on at the grocery store. And I go and I buy formula and there's a there's a um, orphanage here in indoor. There's uh, probably many orphanages, but she uh, she takes that stuff to the orphanage. And those beautiful feet (laughs) carry these things to those people. And I looked at her and I said, I want in on that. And she said, what? I said, I want to help you with that. How can I help you with that? Can I send you some money every month to help expand what you can give to them? And she looked, you know, just blown away. And she said, well, yeah, I guess. She said, I, I can take pictures of the receipts and send it to you. And I said, no, no, no I, don't, I don't want any of that stuff. I just, I know, I trust you. I know your heart. I hear what you're doing. And I want to help with that. And I'll just tell you guys to be looking and noticing the landscape and the opportunities you have around you to bless, to take what we're so richly blessed with here in America and our money and try and invest that in other places. There's so many great opportunities and so many things that you could do to help people on the other side of the world. And so now Christy and I get to share just a little bit of what God has given us to help those or, or that orphanage and those little babies over there. 
Okay, our next picture. So obviously we can do all this because of these feet. So we do, we're committed to what we're doing because of these feet, because of what these feet did, because of the message that these feet carried, because of the, the act that these feet were willing to go through. So as, look, as I was looking for images, and this will be the last image I close with, you can go to the next one. So as I was going through Google looking for pictures of Jesus's feet, this was one of the ones that came up and just like, man, just kind of punched me in the face. Because I want to be there, don't you? I want to be in that moment at some point, you know, to see Christ, to have my faith made sight, to fall at his feet and to worship, you know, and I, again, uh, just a quick story from India. They, they respect their elders so much. Um, I saw a 50 ish year old man uh, sitting in the living room, talking to me and his mother walked in the door and he got up and made a beeline for her and went and fell at her feet and kissed her feet. And, you know, and she reached down and gave him a blessing And it just reminded me of something like this, that I want to sit at the feet of my heavenly father. I want to know this. I want to experience this. I want this to be our faces here at some point that we would be so overcome with um, what we're seeing and what we're experiencing in that moment that, that we can look back and we know we spent our lives well. We're given the same, right? We're given this breath. I woke up this morning thinking, I get another day. (laughs) I get another day as a messenger to bring. I need to pay attention. I need to be purposeful. I need to think through this. But I was just thanking God. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs to go out and carry this message. And I hope you'll do that too. I hope you'll look at this. I hope you'll walk out of here. You probably haven't heard anything amazingly new this morning but maybe it's a reminder for you or a highlight for you to take your story, to take your message out and pay attention. The rich man's sin was that he wasn't paying attention. The lost and hurting had blended in to his landscape. Let that not ever be the case for us. Amen. That's what we want. Let's say a prayer. God, help us. We need you to help us. Um, carry this message. We thank you that, that you've entrusted us, us with our, our mess ups and our sin and our struggles that you've counted us worthy to go and take this message to a lost and hurting world, God. So please walk with us as you promised you would. Um, and let us lean on that promise to, again, just go out to a lost and hurting world and take this beautiful message, message to be the messengers that you're calling us to be. I pray this blessing over this group now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.